Well, good morning. We got big news in the Shorter family. If you're on social media, you probably already know about it, but in case you don't, uh, on Friday night, Brett Porter asked my daughter Lauren to marry him. Yeah, how about that? Uh, we, got a, we, we have a picture here I want to show you. Now, I love this picture for this reason. Lauren loves Charleston, and so Brett proposed to her on the Ravenel Bridge at sunset. Um, and this first picture really captures that moment because, you see, this is the moment she's dreamed of since she was a little girl. This is the moment she's waited for. This is the moment she's always wondered, who will it be, when will it be, where will it be? This is the moment she dreamed of since she was little. And all of a sudden, her hands are over her face because she's overcome by emotion of what she's finally experiencing. Now, I'll show you the second picture. It's a little bit dark. It might be a little hard for you to see, but this one captures their happiness. There's Brett, and he's smiling. There's Lauren. She's smiling. She's holding the, uh, the dozen roses and the big rock on her finger. And, I mean, it just that picture, if you could see it really well, it just captures their happiness. And then on Saturday, that was on Friday night. On Saturday, Lauren posted a Snapchat that simply said this. She said, last night couldn't have been more perfect. I wish I'd done that. <laughs> Too late. I mean, I just blew it. I really did. I just absolutely blew it. I, I didn't ask her dad for her hand in marriage. I didn't take her to some exotic place. I didn't have flowers for her. I took her to a nice restaurant. At least I did that part. I didn't get down on one knee. I didn't say, I didn't have this long speech, you know, planned, and I've always wanted, I can't imagine living without you, and I want to spend the rest of my I didn't do any of that. You know what I did? I'm sitting at the table, I take the ring out, and I slide it over in front of her, and I say, how about marrying me? <laughs> Lisa said, I'll have to pray about this. No, she, she thankfully said yes, but I don't know why. Just call me Mr. Romantic. Oh, you know what we did afterwards? We went to watch a movie, Superman. <laughs> Mr. Romantic, smooth, that's right. But, guess what? For every one of you who are married, even if your marriage is not what you want it to be, even if your marriage is on the edge of divorce, probably for every married couple here today, you had a moment like this. It may not have been as, as good as this one. It may be more like the one I had. But, but you probably had a moment because the details will be different. But probably you were so excited. You were so happy. There was, that, that was the moment you dreamed of as a little girl, right? Or guys, that was the moment you dreamed of as you saved money to give her that ring. You had a moment. And if you think back, you can think about how excited and happy you were, how you were just filled with joy, uh, looking at the ring together, hugging and kissing one another, holding hands, dreaming of the future. Every couple likely had a moment like that when you were married, or before you were married, when you are engaged. And then, watch this, then life happens. Things you didn't expect on this day. Things you could not foresee on this day. 
And eventually you start thinking about, do I really want to stay in this marriage? And then for some, you even think about, how can I get out of this marriage? Now the question is this, how does that happen? How do you start out like this and then get to the point where you're thinking about, I need to end this. How does this happen? So today, I want to talk to you about undo, I do. Many couples seem to be marrying for better or for worse, but not for good. Too many couples are saying, I do for now. I do until I get fed up. I do until I get bored. I do until somebody else comes along. I do until you don't make me happy anymore. I do until our money runs out. I do unless we have problems, or I do... If I, if I really, really work at it, but most of the time it's, it's I do for now. And we live in a world where it is so easy to undo I do. In fact, can I tell you where I got the sermon title? The sermon title, if you haven't noticed, the sermon title is Undo I Do. Do you know where I got that sermon title? I was in Easley and I saw a yard sign that said, Undo I Do, $200, and the lawyer's phone number. And no, I'm not going to give you the information. <laughs> but I stopped. I put the brakes on. I undo. I do. $200. That's the society we're living in. It is so easy to discard a marriage these days. Regardless of how long you've been in your marriage, you can get out of it pretty easily to, in today's world with just two words. They're two magical words. You know what the magical words are? Irreconcilable differences. Which basically means we're different. Hello, isn't that the reason you got married? There was something different about that person that attracted you to them? And when you start out, that difference is, is attractive. But once you get married, that difference becomes aggravating. I mean, listen, can I just be honest with you? If you've been married for a month, you've got grounds for divorce. Right? If, at least if you're talking about irreconcilable differences because you're so different. One's a spender, one's a saver. One likes Pepsi, one likes Coke. I mean, irreconcilable differences. You're different people. Somebody said, marriage is nature's way of keeping people from fighting total strangers. And we don't need much to fight about, do we? Hey, have you been in a marriage? I, I know you have. Have you been in, in your marriage in a situation where all of a sudden you start fighting about something and you're wondering, how in the world are we fighting about something so small? This is a true story. There was a pastor. His name is Reverend Ham, H-A-M-M. Reverend Ham and his wife got in an argument. And you know what they were arguing over? Where are we going to go eat today? We've probably done that too. More than likely, you, you may have done that. But they got in this big argument about where they were going to go eat. And... <laughs> remember now, this is the preacher and his wife, all right? It's so the preacher's wife and the preacher in an argument about where they're going to go eat. And so they're, they're still arguing on the way to the car, and he, they have a three-year-old daughter, and he's, the preacher takes the three-year-old, puts her in the car seat, buckles her in, and she looks at, at her daddy, and she said, Daddy, where are we going to eat? He said, I don't know, honey. Only God knows where we're going to eat today. Slammed the door, got in the car, putting the seatbelt on. They heard a little voice behind him and said, Daddy... I know where we're going to eat today. He said, you do? 
She said, yeah, God told me we're going to eat at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> That's a wife in the making right there, isn't it? My point is simply this. Marriage is not easy. And regardless of how much you love each other, regardless of how well you know each other, and regardless of how right you are for each other, there will be days when you will wonder, is it worth it? There might even be days where you ask, can I get out of it? There might be times where you're tempted to undo. I do. And in fact, it may be that you've got friends or family that are encouraging you to do that very thing. And they say to you, you have every right and every reason to get this divorce. You have every right and every reason to undo. I do. And you know what? They may be telling you the truth. Legally, you have every right to undo. I do. Legally, you have every right and reason to get a divorce. But the question is this, but what does God say? You see, listen to me, and I hope this comes across with a heart of love, but just because it's legal does not mean it's biblical. Would you agree that even though you may have voices around you saying you have every right and every reason to get this divorce, would you agree with me that God's voice should be louder than their voices? So let's open our Bibles to a hard text in Matthew chapter 2. Matthew, I'm sorry, not Matthew, Malachi. Malachi chapter 2. While you're turning there, let me make a confession to you today. As I planned this series, and I saw this day and this message on the calendar, this is the day I was tempted to call in sick. This is the day I'd like to call Mike or Brad or somebody and say, hey, could you preach for me today? And I've really be honest with you, I'm kind of nervous about the message today. And here's the reason. Because I have friends in this church who are divorced or divorced and remarried. I have family members who are divorced and remarried. And I know that divorce is a very painful topic for many of you. I understand that the problems that you are going through or the problems that you went through are very real and very painful and things that I could not even imagine, much less understand. So I prayed today, more than once, I've prayed today that God would season my words with grace. I prayed today that when I speak, I would speak with clarity, with conviction, but also with compassion. One of the reasons that I feel so strongly about the message today that we need it in our church, and maybe you need it in your life, because like you, I've seen what divorce can do to people. And I've seen recently an example of that. Just a a week ago this past Thursday, Lisa and I were at the Young at Heart banquet or, or dinner. And while we were at the Young at Heart dinner, there was a guy there who was singing did a, great, did a great job, and in the middle of singing, he was kind of talking, you know, and kind of giving his testimony, and, and he said, now, if you want to pray for somebody, pray for me, and immediately, it's like somebody turned on the tears, all of a sudden, and I mean, they were genuine, all of a sudden, he started, tears began to flow from his eyes, and, and he told us his story. 25 years ago, 25 years ago, he went off somewhere, I think it was during the summer or, or the fall, maybe, to sing when he came home. His wife had left him 25 years ago. He eventually found her, contacted her. They got back together. They worked on their marriage. He said, I thought we'd worked everything out. I thought everything was fine. 
A year later, he went back to that same place to sing at that same conference, and when he got home, she was gone again. This time for good. He's weeping as he's telling us this story that happened 25 years ago. Then he said this. He, he, with tears coming down his cheek, he said, and for 18 years, my son li- lived out of a duffel bag. One day he was with me, the next night he was with his mom. The next day he was with me, the next night he was with his mom. The next night he was with me, the next night he was with his mom. And he said, for 18 years, my son lived out of a duffel bag. And then he said, divorce is awful. And he was weeping as he said it. The thing that struck me was, this was 25 years ago. 25 years ago, and the pain was as fresh as it was that day divorce he said is awful that is why we need to look at what God says about this subject see before you undo I do I just want to take you through the pages of scripture so let's look Malachi chapter 2 look in verse 11 and I want you to talk back to me in a good way. I'm going to ask you some questions. I want you to talk back to me occasionally. Judah, Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves. And here is how Judah desecrated the sanctuary, by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. The problem here with Judah, God's people, is God says they've done a detestable thing. They're marrying the daughter of a foreign god. The worshipers of God were marrying those who worshipped idols. That was expressly forbidden in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 2 and 3. Uh, God was very clear in the Old Testament that, they were, that his people were not to intermarry with the pagans because that was incompatible with their calling as God's holy people. That they were not to blend their families between the pagans and those who knew God because that would weaken their faith, that would weaken their, their calling, but they were to stay true to God and, 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 and continue to marry people within the faith. But not only were they marrying those women who worshipped idols, They were doing something else as well. They were divorcing their Jewish wives in order to do so. So it's two problems. One, they're marrying ladies who worshipped idols, but in order to marry those ladies who worshipped idols, they were divorcing their godly Jewish wives in order to do so. Look at verse 13 and 14. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask, why? Here's the answer. It's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you've broken faith with her. Though she is your what, church? She is your what? Your partner. The wife of your marriage covenant. Notice how God responds as he defends the permanency of marriage. There's four or five things here that God says in this short little passage. First of all, God emphasizes that he was at the wedding. That's what he says there. It's right there in the text. The Lord is acting as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. God was saying, listen, I was there. I heard what you said. 
I took seriously what you said, whether you took it seriously or not. You stood before me. You stood before me and made a covenant with the wife of your youth, the partner of your youth. I was at the wedding. I saw it. I heard it. And I take seriously what you said to her. Is that really in there, preacher? Verse 14, you ask why. It's because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you've broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage partner, your covenant. Not only was God at the wedding, he said, secondly, she is your partner. I've given you a partner, a partner for life, but you've broken faith with her. This, this is not supposed to just be your wife. This is your partner. And then he said, look at the end of verse uh, 14. She is your partner, the wife of your marriage What's that next word? Covenant. You made a covenant that day. This is not a contract. This is not a marriage contract that you can get in of and out of easily. You made a covenant, and it was a covenant made in the presence of God. And then he says in verse 15, Has not the Lord made them one? This is not something just that man did. God was involved in this. In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. It, it, it appears, this, we're not sure, but scholars believe that really what he's talking about here is they were divorcing their wives who maybe were getting a little up in age. Their Hebrew wives. And they saw those pagan women, those young Attractive pagan women down at the pagan idols? It appears that basically what they were doing was, no, I think I'll trade her in for a younger model. Because he says it two different times, the wife of your youth, don't forsake the wife of your youth. Don't forsake the wife you've been married to for a long time. And then in verse 16, there is this statement, a harsh statement about divorce in verse 16 harshest statement in the Bible about divorce. God says in verse 16, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Now, before I talk about that, I want to give you two words. I want to make two statements here. Before I even dig into what that statement talks about, I want, to, I want you to hear these two words. The first word is the word proclamation. I really believe that we must continually proclaim God's standard and when God says he hates divorce, we should proclaim that without hesitation. We should proclaim that simply because God has said it. And we should not let the brokenness of humanity blur the vision between what God desires and what we desire. If God says he hates divorce, there's a reason for him to say that. And I think there ought to be clear proclamation when God says something like that. But, here's the second word. The second word is perspective. Why on one hand, look up here, while on one hand we have to proclaim what God says, I hate divorce, there also has to be perspective. You see, not only does God hate divorce, but God hates every sin. You see, Deuteronomy 16.22 says God hates idolatry. Zechariah 8.1 says God hates perjury. Proverbs 6 verse 16 says there are six things that God hates and it lists all of those things. Does God hate divorce? Yes. But He does not hate you if you are divorced. And we need to make sure we understand that. He hates what divorce does to you. He hates what divorce does to your family. But He does not hate 
you. And in the church, we have to clearly proclaim, this is what God says, but we also have to have perspective to say, but there is a Redeemer who changes our lives and changes our future. But listen to me. If you're tempted to undo, I do. Would you think about this? I wasn't there, but on your wedding day, I think you probably said something like this. Rather than saying, I do love you, more than likely what you promised was, I will love you. There's a difference. I do love you means I love you right now. I will love you means that regardless of what comes, regardless of how hard it might get, regardless of what we experience, I will love you. Whatever it takes, however hard it is, whatever happens, however much I might want to leave, I will love you. And you meant it, didn't you? I know you meant it. You, you weren't faking it. You meant it. You just didn't know how hard it would be to live it. Here's what I want you to understand. Since the days of Malachi, since the days of the Old Testament at least, since the days of Malachi, people have struggled with this whole issue of divorce. Isn't that amazing? It's not a new problem. It's not a recent problem. This is not a recent dilemma. At least since the days of the Old Testament prophet Malachi, people have struggled with undoing I do. But it really goes back beyond that as well. You see, Malachi is the last book in the, Bible, in the Old Testament. First book in the New Testament, of course, is Matthew. And guess what? The Lord Jesus himself spoke about this very issue in the first book of the New Testament. Would you open to Matthew chapter 19? Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee, went into the region of Judea to the other side of Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Verse 3, some Pharisees came to him to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, this was a very, very relevant question in that day. It was a question that was debated by the scholars in that day. There were two schools of thought. The, those who followed the rabbi uh, Hillel, he, he taught that based on the teachings of Deuteronomy that you can divorce your wife for any reason. If she displeases you in any way, if she burns the toast, you can divorce her if you want to. Just give her a statement of divorce and say you're out of here. Discard her like you would unwanted furniture. That was the rabbi Hillel said. That's, that's what that means in Deuteronomy. If she displeases you, divorce her. There was a second school of thought. Shammai, the rabbi Shammai said, no, 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 no. What it says in Deuteronomy is, is not that you can discard her for any reason, but what it says in Deuteronomy is if she is unfaithful to you, if she is unfaithful to the marriage vow, then and only then can you divorce her. So there's, there's these two schools of thought, and, and of course they debated it, and, and of course the one that said you can divorce her for any reason became the most popular view in that day. And so here's the question. That's why they asked this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason. Now notice they asked the question, is it lawful? They didn't mean by that question, is it legal? Lawful in this situation means, in the eyes of God. Is it lawful in the eyes of God? What does God think about this, is what they were asking. Is it lawful in the eyes of God to divorce or to undo? I do. 
It's interesting how Jesus responded. Would you notice this in verse 4? Haven't you read? You know what Jesus is doing here? He's pointing them back to Scripture. It's always a good response. What does the Scripture say? He points them back to Scripture with a question. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become, will become what, church? One flesh. Verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one. Can you really un-one? One. That's what he's talking about. That's why he says, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Notice the contrast between God and man. What God has joined together, let man not separate. This is not something man should be trying to do. And then, they had a very logical question. Why then, they asked, verse 7, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife's certificate of divorce and send her away? Oh, so they had a very good question. Okay, if we follow your train of thought, then i got a question for you. In the Old Testament, why did Moses say, why did he command them to give a certificate of divorce? Look how Jesus responded. Moses, what's that next word? Moses what? Permitted. Moses didn't command this. Not a command from Moses. Moses permitted you to, to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Jesus explained that the law of Moses protected the wife by restraining the husband from impulsively divorcing her and abusing her like an unwanted piece of furniture. Jesus said, no, wait, 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 wait. Moses didn't command this. He permitted it. And he permitted it for the the sake of protecting the lady. The purpose of the law was not to make divorce acceptable. The purpose of the law was to reduce the hardship of its consequences. So we read the text again. Moses, verse 8, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. So, really, the divorce question, undoing, I do, has been around for a long, long time. Not just to the days of Malachi. Go way, 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 hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of years back beyond that to the days of Moses. As God's people were coming out of Egypt, as they were forming a nation, the nation of Israel, as they were coming together way back then, even then, they're struggling with this idea of undoing, I do. So your situation is not new. Your situation is not unique. It may be very painful. It may be very troublesome. But people have struggled with this issue for centuries. And right now, some of you feel like perhaps divorce is your only option. I understand that. I mean, you don't love them anymore. You made a mistake. You chose the wrong person. You likely tried to make it work. Uh, perhaps you've gone for counseling and it just didn't help. Maybe you can't talk anymore without fighting, that every time you try to talk it turns into a fight. You think that perhaps he's found somebody else or that she has found somebody else. You're, you're physically, emotionally tired. You're not attracted to them at all anymore. In fact, you're repulsed by the very sight of them. You thought... Uh, 
through all of this, you've, you've wrestled with it, you've, you've made your list, and in your heart and in your mind, you're convinced divorce is your only option. And if that is you, I've got four things I want to say real quickly. Four things I'm going to ask you to do. I'd, I'd like to ask you to write these down, whether you need this or not. You might need it later, or you may have a friend or a family member or, or a co-worker who will need this later. But, but I'm going to ask you to do four things, especially if you're wrestling with the idea of undoing, I do. If you're wrestling with the idea of, I might get a divorce next week, or you may be in the process of getting a divorce. I'm going to ask you to do four things. Number one, pause. Pause. Don't rush this. We've seen both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that God takes divorce very, very seriously, and so should we. God says in the Old Testament, this is your partner. God says in Malachi, this is the wife of your marriage covenant. God says in the, in the Old Testament it, to guard yourself and your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. God says in Matthew, if you divorce and remarry, you're committing adultery. I'm just asking you, would you please just pause? Don't rush to the courthouse. Don't rush to the lawyer. Just pause. And even if you're in the middle of the process, your, your lawyer won't like this call, but call him up and say, right now we're going to push pause. We're going to push pause for a while. Don't rush to get this thing over with. Might be the worst thing you could do. Just pause. That's all I'm asking. Just pause. Number two, ask. I'm going to ask you to ask a question of yourself, and you will not like this question. It's a hard question. And in fact, you probably will know the answer to it before you even ask it. But I'm going to ask you to be honest and ask yourself this question. Here it is. Does God think divorce is my only option? Does God think divorce is my only option? I know what my mama thinks. I know what my daddy thinks. I know what my grandma thinks. I know what my coworker thinks. I know what my best friend thinks. I know what my neighbor thinks. Everybody keeps telling me what I ought to do. But the question is not what do they think. Would you pause long enough to wrestle with this question, does God think that divorce is my only option? Now, here's the question we prefer, and I'm just being honest with you. Here's the question we prefer. The question we prefer to ask is, does God want me to be unhappy for the rest of my life? You see, the goal of that question is to get out of the marriage. The goal of that question is you. The focus of that question is you. Does God want me to be unhappy for the rest of my life? But the goal of, the, of my question is, does God think Divorce is my only option. And the goal is not to get out of the marriage. The goal is to work, work it out in the marriage. So pause and ask. And I know right now, listen, listen, I know right now, you're, you might be in such a mess, it's like, Keith, we can't even stand the sight of one another. I get that. Pause, ask the question anyway. Does God think divorce is my only option? Number three. Number three. Read. Read. Dig into this book. 
Read everything that you can in this Bible about marriage, about living for the Lord. Read everything you can in this Bible about what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife. Just read everything you can. Let God speak to you. Read the Old Testament. Read the New Testament. Read the Psalms. Read Proverbs. Just read this book. Listen, the reason you're going to read this book is that hopefully God's voice will become louder than everybody else's voice. Read. Fourth word is this. Pray. Pray. Just please talk to God and say, what's my next step? God, what's my next step? I've paused. I've honestly asked that question. I've been reading the Word and growing in my faith, in my relationship with You. And now, Lord, I've got to ask You this. What is my next step? Just pray for God to show you your next step. Well, I want to close with this story. On Friday, everybody just focus on me for a moment. On Friday, I preached the funeral for Mary Phillips. Mary and T.W. Phillips, members of our church. Mary and T.W. Phillips, everybody listen, listen, listen. I know you put stuff away. Please, please, please concentrate on this. Mary and T.W. Phillips were married for 70 years. 70 years. Let me put that in perspective for you. I'm 58. On the day I was born, they were already married 12 years. 70 years they, they were married. Now, they met in a cotton mill when she was 15 and he was 16. They, they, were, they grew up in a time where you had to go to work. And they were working in a cotton mill. She was 15, he was 16. They dated two years and then they got married when she was 17 and he was 18. And eventually, they had five children together. And then they had grandchildren. And then they had great-grandchildren over those 70 years. When I was at their home last week, I learned something. At least I've been in their home many times, but I learned something and I saw something I didn't see previously. Somewhere along the way, I don't know exactly when they started doing this, but somewhere along the way, they started putting a, a penny over the doorway in the living room for each person who was added to their family. For example, again, I don't know when they started it, but let's just pretend that they started early on. They started out with two pennies. One for him, one for her. And eventually, first child came along. Now they got three pennies. And then the second child came along. Now they got four pennies. Then the third child, now they got five pennies. Then the fourth child, now they got six pennies. And then the fifth child, now they've got seven pennies. And it stood that way for a while. And then one of them got married. And for long, guess what? They had a child. Now we have eight pennies. And then somebody else got married. They had a, now we've got nine pennies. And they kept doing that, just adding a penny over the doorway as somebody was added to their family. And today, if you go to their home, there are 38 pennies over the doorway. 38 pennies. They started with two and became 38. You know why Satan is fighting against your marriage so hard? He's trying to keep you from being married 70 years, and he's trying to take the pennies down that's in your future. He knows the blessings that are ahead. You stick it out. He knows what God might do in your life, and Satan is trying to steal that from you and rob you from that. So I'm going to ask you a question. Would you do those four things? Would you pause? 
Would you ask the hard question? Would you read, say, God, I need to grow in my relationship with you. Speak to me. And would you pray, God, what's my next step? I didn't ask T.W. this. I'd like to. Maybe I will one day. T.W., in those 70 years you were married, you ever have any hard times? Did you ever have any times in those 70 years where you just kind of wanted to hang it up and walk away? Did you ever have any of those times where you guys just couldn't seem to get along? Did you ever have any times when you wondered if you're going to make it? I don't know what their answer would be. But I do know this. I buried his wife. I looked into a face of a man who desperately loved his woman. Truly loved Miss Mary. Seven. That's what I want for you. More importantly, that's what God wants for you. So let's do the only thing we can do right now. Let's pray together about that. Father, in the name of Jesus, you are good and you are God and you are greater than we are. So we pray right now that in the name of Jesus, for those who are struggling, for those who are hurting, for those, Lord, who are going through difficult times, I pray they'd be willing just to do those four things and say, Lord, my life is yours. Guide me. Help me. By the power of your Holy Spirit, enable me. And Lord, we pray you'd be honored and glorified in it all. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.